tumbling sound of moving men cut through the weeping morning, and the hungry voice of Terran Gashtek lashed at them to hurry. Slaves packed up his tent and threw it into a wagon. He rode forward and wrenched his tall war lance from the soft earth, wheeled his horse and rode westwards. His captains, Elric and Moonglum among them, behind him. Speaking their western tongue, Elric and Moonglum debated their problem. The barbarian was expecting them to lead him to his prey. His outriders were covering wide distances, so it would be impossible to lead him past a settlement. They were in a quandary, for it would be disgraceful to sacrifice another township to give Karlaka a few days' grace. Yes. A little later, two whooping outriders came galloping up to Tehran Gashtek. A town, my lord, a small one and easy to take. At last, this will do to test our blades and see how easy western flesh is to pierce. And then we'll aim at a bigger target. He turned to Elric. Do you know this town? Where does it lie? asked Elric thickly. A dozen miles to the southwest, replied the outrider. In spite of the fact that the town was doomed, Elric felt almost relieved. They spoke of the town of Gorge Han. I know it, he said. Kevin the saddler, riding to deliver a new set of horse furniture to an outlying farm, saw the distant riders, their bright helmets caught by a sudden beam of sunlight. That the riders came from off the weeping waste was undoubtable, and he recognised menace in their massed progress. He turned his mount about and rode with the speed of fear, back the way he had come to the town of Gorshan flat, hard mud of the street trembled beneath the thudding hooves of Cavum's horse, and his high, excited shout knifed through shuttered windows. Raiders come! Where are the raiders? Within a quarter of an hour, the headman of the town had met in hasty conference and debated whether to run or to fight. The older men advised their neighbours to flee the raiders, other younger men preferred to stay ready, armed to meet a possible attack. Some argued that the town was too poor to attract any raider. The townspeople of Gorshan debated and quarrelled, and the first wave of raiders came screaming, screaming to their walls. With the realisation that there was no time for further argument came the realisation of their doom. And they ran to the ramparts with their pitiful weapons. Turan Gashtek roared through the milling barbarians who churned the mud around Gorjan. Waste no time in siege. Fetch the sorcerer. They dragged Drinage Bara forward. From his garments, Turan Gashtek produced a small black cat and held an iron blade to its throat. Work your spells, sorcerer, and tumble the walls quickly. The sorcerer scowled, his eyes seeking Elric, but the albino averted his own eyes and turned his horse away. The sorcerer produced a handful of powder from his belt pouch and hurled it into the air where it became first a gas, then a flickering ball of flame, 
and finally a face, a dreadful, unhuman face formed in the flame. Dag Gaddon, the destroyer, intoned Drinage Barra, you are sworn to our ancient pact. Will you obey me? I must, and therefore I will. What do you command? That you obliterate the walls of this town and so leave the men inside naked, like crabs without their shells. My pleasure to destroy and destroy I shall. The flaming face faded, altered, shrieked a searing course upward, became a blossoming scarlet canopy which hid the sky. Then it swept down over the town and... In the instant of its passing, the walls of Gorjan groaned, crumbled, and vanished. Elric shuddered. If Dag Gaddon came to Karlark, such would be their fate. Triumphant, the barbarian battlemongers swept into the defenceless town. Careful to take no part in the massacre, Elric and Moonglum were also helpless to aid the slaughtered townspeople. The sight of the senseless, savage bloodshed around them innervated them. They ducked into a small house which seemed so far untouched by the pillaging barbarians. Inside they found three cowering children huddled around an older girl who clutched an old scythe in her soft hands. Shaking with fear, she prepared to stand them off. Do not waste our time, girl. Eric said, or you'll be wasting your lives. Does this house have a loft? She nodded. Then get to it quickly. We'll make sure you're unharmed. They stayed in the house, hating to observe the slaughter madness which came upon the howling barbarians. They heard the dreadful sounds of carnage and smelled the stench of dead flesh and running blood. A barbarian, covered in blood which was not his own, dragged a woman into the house by her hair. She made no attempt to resist, her face stunned by the horror she had witnessed. Elric growled. Find another nest, talk. We've made this our own. The man said, There's room enough here for what I want. And then at last, Elric's clenched muscles reacted almost in spite of him. His right hand swung over to his left hip and the long fingers locked around Stormbringer's black hilt. The blade leapt from the scabbard as Elric stepped forward and his crimson eyes blazing in sickened hatred, he smashed his sword down through the man's body. Unnecessarily, he clove again, hacking the barbarian in two. The woman remained where she lay, conscious but unmoving. Elric picked up her inert body and passed it gently to Moonglum. Take her upstairs with the others, he said brusquely. The barbarians had begun to fire part of the town, their slaying all but done. Now they looted. Elric stepped out of the doorway. There was precious little for them to loot, but still hungry for violence, they spent their energy on smashing inanimate things and setting fire to the broken, pillaged dwellings. Stormbringer dangled loosely in Elric's hand as he looked at the blazing town. His face was a mask of shadow, and 
frisking light as the fire threw up still longer tongues of flame to the misty sky. Round him barbarians squabbled over the pitiful beauty. And occasionally a woman's scream cut through the other sounds, intermingled with rough shouts and a clash of metal. Then he heard voices which were pitched differently than those in the immediate vicinity. The accents of the reavers mingled with a new tone, a whining, pleading tone. A group led by Taran Gashtek came into view through the smoke. Taran Gashtek held something bloody in his hand. Human head. A human hand severed at the wrist, and behind him swaggered several of his captains, holding a naked old man between them. Blood ran over his body and gushed from his ruined arm, spurting sluggishly. Turan Gashtek frowned when he saw Elric, and then he shouted, Now, Westerner, you, you shall see how we placate our gods with better gifts than meal and sour milk as the swine once did. He'll soon be dancing a pretty measure, I'll warrant, won't you, Lord Priest? The whining note went out of the old man's voice then, and he stared with fever-bright eyes at Elric. His voice rose to a frenzied and high-pitched shriek which was curiously repellent. You dogs can howl over me, he spat, but Midath and Targano will be revenged for the ruin of their priests in their temple. You have brought flame here and you shall die by flame. He pointed the bleeding stump of his arm at Elric. And you, traitor, have been one in many causes. I can see it written in you. Though now you are priest drew breath and Elric licked his lips. I am what I am, he said, and you are nothing but an old man soon to die. Your gods cannot harm us, for we do not pay them any respect, and I'll listen no more to your senile meanderings. There was in the old priest's face all the knowledge of his past torment and the torment which was to come. He seemed to consider this and then was silent. Save your breath for screaming, said Taran Gashtek to the uncomprehending priest. And then Elric said, It is bad luck to kill a priest, Flamebringer. Well, you seem weak of stomach, my friend. His sacrifice to our own gods will bring us good luck. Fear not. Elric turned away, and he entered the house again. A wild shriek of agony seared out of the night, and the laughter which followed was not pleasant. Later, as the still-burning houses lit the night, Elric and Moonglum carried heavy sacks on their shoulders, clasping a woman edge, moving with a simulation of drunkenness to the edge of the camp. Moonglum left the sacks and the woman with Elric and went back, returning soon with three horses. They opened the sacks to allow the children to climb out and watch the silent woman mount the horses, aiding the children to clamber up, and then they galloped away. Now said Elric savagely. We must work our plan tonight, whether the messenger reached Divim Slorm or not. I could not bear to witness another such sword-quenching. Turan Gashtek had drunk himself insensible. He lay sprawled in an upper room of one of the unburned houses. Elric and Moonglum crept towards him, while 
Alric watched to see that he was undisturbed. Munglum knelt beside the barbarian leader and, light-fingered, cautiously reached inside the man's garments. He smiled in self-approval as he lifted out the squirming cat and replaced it with a stuffed rabbit skin he had earlier prepared for the purpose. Holding the animal tight, he arose and nodded to Elric. Together, warily, they left the house and made their way through the chaos of the camp. I ascertained that Drinage Barra lies in the large wagon, Elric told his friend. Quickly now, the main danger's over. Moonglum said, when the cat and Drinage Barra have exchanged blood and the sorcerer's soul is back in his body. What then, Elric? And together our powers may serve at last to hold the barbarians back, but he broke off as a large group of warriors came weaving towards him. It's the westerner and his little friend, laughed one. Where are you off to, comrades? Ulrich sensed their mood. The slaughter of the day had not completely satiated their bloodlust. They were looking for trouble. Nowhere in particular, he replied. The barbarians lurched around them, encircling them. We've heard much of your straight blade, stranger, grinned the spokesman, and I have a mind to test it against a real weapon. He grabbed his own scimitar out of his belt. What do you say? I would spare you that, said Elric, coolly. You are generous, but I'd rather you accepted my invitation. Let us pass, said Moonglum. The barbarian's faces hardened. Speak you so to the conquerors of the world, said the leader. Moonglum took a step back and drew his sword, the cat squirming in his left hand. We'd best get this done, said Elric to his friend. He tugged his rune blade from its scabbard. The sword sang a soft and mocking tune and the barbarians heard it. They were disconcerted. Well, said Elric, holding the half-sentient blade out. The barbarian who had challenged him looked uncertain of what to do, and then he forced himself to shout, Clean iron can withstand any sorcery, and launched himself forward. Elric, grateful for the chance to take further vengeance, blocked his swing, forced the scimitar back, and aimed a blow which sliced the man's torso just above the hip. The barbarian screamed and died. Moonglum, dealing with a couple more, killed one, but another came in swiftly and a sweeping sword sliced the little Eastlander's left shoulder. He howled and dropped the cat. Elric stepped in, slew Moonglum's opponent, Stormbringer wailing a triumphant dirge. The rest of the barbarians turned and ran off. How bad is your wound, gasped Elric, but Moonglum was on his knees, staring through the gloom. Quick, Elric, can you see the cat? I dropped it in the struggle. If we lose it, we too are lost. And frantically, they began to hunt through the camp. But they were unsuccessful, for the cat, with the dexterity of its kind, had hidden itself. A few moments later, they heard the sounds of uproar coming from the house which Tehran Gashtek had commandeered. He's discovered that the cat's been stolen, exclaimed Moonglum. What do we do now? I don't know, 
keep searching and hope he does not suspect us. They continued to hunt, but with no result. And while they searched, several barbarians came up to them. One of them said, Our leader wishes to speak with you. Why? He'll inform you of that. Come on. Reluctantly, they went with the barbarians to be confronted by a raging Terran Gashtek. He clutched the stuffed rabbit skin in one claw-like hand and his face was warped with fury. My hold over the sorcerer has been stolen from me, he roared. What do you know of it? I don't understand, said Elric. The cat is missing. I found this rag in its place. You were caught talking to Drinage Barra recently. I think you were responsible. We know nothing of this, said Moonglum. Taran Gashtek growled. The camp's in disorder. It will take a day to reorganize my men. Once loose like this, they will obey no one. But when I've restored order, I shall question the whole camp. If you tell the truth, then you will be released. But meanwhile, you will be given all the time you need to speak with the sorcerer. He jerked his head. Take them away. Disarm them. Bind them. And throw them in Drinage Barra's kennel. And as they were led away, Alric muttered, We must escape and find the cat. But meanwhile, we need not waste this opportunity to confer with Drinage Barra. Drinage Barra said in the darkness, No, brother sorcerer, I will not aid you. I will risk nothing until the cat and I are united. But Taran Gashti cannot threaten you any more. Well, what if he recaptures the cat? What then? Elric was silent. He shifted his bound body uncomfortably on the hard boards of the wagon. He was about to continue his attempts at persuasion when the awning was thrown aside and he saw another trussed figure thrown towards them. Through the blackness, he said in the eastern tongue, Who are you? The man replied in the language of the West, I do not understand you. Are you then a Westerner? asked Elric in the common speech. Yes, I am an official messenger from Carlark. I was captured by these odorous jackals as I returned to the city. What? You the man we sent to Divim Slorm, my kinsman. I am Elric of Malnibane. My lord, are we all then prisoners? Oh gods, Kalak is truly lost. Did you get to Divim Slorm? Aye, I caught up with him and his band. Luckily, they were nearer to Kalak than we suspected. And what was his answer to my request? He said that a few young ones might be ready, but even with sorcery to aid him, it would take time to get to the Dragon Isle. There is a chance. A chance is all we need, but it will be no good unless we accomplish the rest of our plan. Somehow, Drinage Barra's soul must be regained so that Taran Gashtek cannot force him to defend the barbarians. There is one idea I have. In memory of an ancient kinship that we of Malnibane had for beings called... Mirkla. Thank the gods that I discovered those drugs and trues and still have my strength. Now I must call my sword to me. He closed his eyes and allowed his mind and body first to relax completely and then concentrate on one single thing. 
the sword Stormbringer. For years, the evil symbiosis had existed between man and sword, and the old attachments lingered. He cried, Stormbringer, unite with your brother. Come, sweet Runeblade, hell-forged kinslayer, your master needs thee. Outside it seemed that a wailing wind had suddenly sprung up. Elric heard shouts of fear and a whistling sound. And then the covering of the wagon was sliced apart to let in the starlight, and the moaning blade quivered in the air above his head. He struggled upwards, already feeling nauseated at what he was about to do, but he was reconciled that he was not, this time, guided by self-interest, but by the necessity to save the world from the barbarian menace. Give me thy strength, my sword, he groaned as his bound hands grasped the hilt. Give me thy strength and let us hope it is for the last time. The, vamp, uh, the blood writhed in his hands, and he felt an awful sensation as its power, the power stolen, vampire-like from a hundred brave men, flowed into his shuddering body. He became possessed of a peculiar strength which was not by any means wholly physical. His white face twisted as he concentrated on controlling the new power and the blade, both of which threatened to possess him entirely. He snapped his bonds and stood up. Barbarians were even now running towards the wagon. Swiftly he cut the leather ropes binding the others and, unconscious of the nearing warriors, called a different name. He spoke a new tongue, an alien tongue which normally he could not remember. It was the language taught by the sorcerer kings of Malnibane, Auric's ancestors, even before the building of Imrir, the dreaming city, over ten thousand years previously. Mirkla of the Cats, it is I, your kinsman, Auric of Malnibane, last of the line that made vows of friendship with you and your people. Do you hear me, Lord of the Cats? Far beyond the earth, dwelling within a world set apart from the physical laws of space and time which governed the planet, glowing in a deep warmth of blue and amber, a man-like creature stretched itself and yawned, displaying tiny pointed teeth. It pressed its head languidly against its furry shoulder and listened. The voice it heard was not the, that of one of its people, the kind he loved and protected, but he recognised the language. He smiled to himself as remembrance came, and he felt the pleasant sensation of fellowship. He remembered a race which, unlike other humans whom he disdained, had shared his qualities. A race which, him, which like him, loved pleasure, cruelty and sophistication for its own sake. The race of Melnibonaeans. Mirkla, lord of the cats, protector of the feline kind, projected himself gracefully towards the source of the voice. And how may I aid thee? he purred. We seek one of your folk, Mirkla, who is somewhere close to here. Oh yes, I sense him, but what do you want of him? Nothing which is his, but he has two souls, one of them not his own. 
That is so. His name is Fiashuen of the great family of Triashau. I will call him. He will come to me. Outside, the barbarians were striving to conquer their fear of the supernatural events taking place in the wagon. Turan Gashtek cursed them. There are 500,000 of us and a few of them. Take them now. His warriors began to move cautiously forward. Fjarshun, the cat, heard a voice which it knew instinctively to be that, one which it would be foolish to disobey. It ran swiftly towards the source of that voice. Look, the cat, there it is, sees it quickly. Two of Turan Gashtek's men jumped forward to do his bidding, but the little cat eluded them and leapt lightly into the wagon. Give the human back its soul, Fjarshun said Mirkla softly. The cat moved towards its human master and dug its delicate teeth into the sorcerer's veins. A moment later, Drinajbara laughed wildly. My soul is mine again. Thank you, great cat lord, and let me repay you. Oh, there's no need, smiled Mirkla mockingly. Anyway, I perceive that your soul is already bartered. Goodbye, Elric of Melnibane. I was pleased to answer your call, though I see that you no longer follow the ancient pursuits of your fathers. Still, for the sake of old loyalties, I do not begrudge you the service. Farewell. I go back to a warmer place than this inhospitable one. The Lord of the Cats faded and returned to the world of blue and amber warmth, where he once more resumed his interrupted sleep. Come, brother sorcerer, cried Drinage Barra exultantly. Let us take the vengeance which is ours. He and Elric sprang from the wagon, but the two others were not quite so quick to respond. Turan Gashtek and his men confronted them. Many had bows with long arrows fitted to them. Shoot them down swiftly, yelled the flamebringer. Shoot them now before they have time to summon further demons. A shower of arrows whistled towards them. Drinjbara smiled, spoke a few words as he moved his hands almost carelessly. The arrows stopped in mid-flight, turned back, and each uncannily found the throat of the man who had shot it. Turan Gashtek gasped and wheeled back, pushed past his men, and, as he retreated, shouted for them to attack the four. Driven by the knowledge that if they fled they would be doomed, the great mass of barbarians closed in. Dawn was bringing light to the cloud-ripped sky as Moonglum looked upwards. Look, Elric, he shouted, pointing. Only five, said the albino. Only five, but perhaps enough. He parried several lashing blades of his own, with his own sword, and though he was possessed of superhuman strength, all the power seemed to have left the sword so that it was only as useful as an ordinary blade. Still fighting, he relaxed his body and felt the power leave him, flowing back into Stormbringer. Again the rune blade began to whine and thirstily sought the throats and hearts of the savage barbarians. Trinichbara had no sword, but he did not need one. He was using subtler means to defend himself. All around him were the gruesome results, boneless masses of flesh and sinew. 
The two sorcerers and Moonglum and the messenger forced their way through the half-insane barbarians who were desperately attempting to overcome them. In the confusion, it was impossible to work out a coherent plan of action. Moonglum and the messenger grabbed scimitars from the corpses of the barbarians and joined in the battle. Eventually, they had reached the outer limits of the camp. A whole mass of barbarians had fled, spurring their mounts westwards. Then Alric saw Taran Gashtek holding a bow. He saw the flamebringer's intention and shouted a warning to his fellow sorcerer, who had his back to the barbarian. Drenage Bara, yelling some disturbing incantation, half-turned, broke off, attempted to begin another spell, but the arrow pierced his eye. He screamed, no, and then he died. Seeing his ally slain, Alric paused and stared at the sky and the great wheeling beasts which he recognised. Divim Slorm, son of Alric's cousin Divim Tvar, the dragon master, had brought the legendary dragons of Imria to aid his kinsmen. Most of the huge beasts slept and would sleep for another century. Only five dragons had been aroused. As yet, Divim Slorm could do nothing for fear of harming Alric and his comrades. Taran Gashtek, too, had seen the magnificent beasts. His grandiose plans of conquest were already fading, and thwarted, he ran towards Elric. You white-faced filth, he howled. You have been responsible for all of this, and you will pay the Flamebringer's price. Elric laughed as he brought up Stormbringer to protect himself from the incensed barbarian. He pointed to the sky. These two can be called Flamebringers, Taran Gashtek, and they are better named than thou. Then he plunged the evil blade full into Taran Gashtek's body, and the barbarian gave a choking moan as his soul was drawn from him. Destroyer I may be, Elric of Melnibane, he gasped, but my way was cleaner than yours. May you and all you hold dear be cursed for eternity. Alric laughed, but his voice shook slightly as he stared at the barbarian's corpse. I've rid myself of such curses once before, my friend. Yours will have little effect, I think. He paused. By Arioch, I hope I'm right. Thought my fate cleansed of doom and curses, but perhaps I was wrong. The huge horde of barbarians were nearly all mounted now and fleeing westwards. They had to be stopped, for at the pace they were travelling they would soon reach Karlark, and only the gods knew what they would do once they got to the unprotected city. Above him he heard the flapping of thirty-foot wings, and scented the familiar smell of the great flying reptiles which had pursued him years before when he had led a reaver fleet on the attack of his home city. Then he heard the curious notes of the dragon horn, and saw that Divim Slorm was seated on the back of the leading beast, a long, spear-like goad in his gauntleted right hand. The dragon spiralled downwards and its great bulk came to rest on the ground thirty feet away, its leathery wings folding back along its length. The dragon master waved to Elric. Greetings, King Elric. We barely managed to arrive in time, I see. Time enough, kinsman, smiled Elric. It is good to see the son of Divim Tvar again. I was afraid you might not answer my plea. 
Old scores were forgotten at the Battle of Bakshan, when my father Divanfar died, aiding you in the siege of Nikorn's fortress. I regret only the younger beasts were ready to be awakened. You'll remember the others were used, but a few years passed. I remember, said Alric. May I beg another favour, Divim Slorm? What is that? Let me ride the chief dragon. I am trained in the arts of the dragon master and have good reason for riding against the barbarians. We were forced to witness insensate carnage a while ago and may perhaps pay them back in their own coinage. Divim Slorm nodded and swung off his mount. The beast stirred restlessly and drew back the lips of its tapering snout to reveal teeth as thick as a man's arm, as long as a sword. Its forked tongue flickered and it turned its huge, cold eyes to regard Elric. Elric sang to it in the old Malnabonean speech, took the goad and the dragon horn from Divim Slorm and carefully climbed into the high saddle at the base of the dragon's neck. He placed his booted feet in the great silver stirrups. Now fly, dragon brother, he sang, up and have your venom ready. He heard the snap of displaced air as the wings began to beat, and then the great beast was clear of the ground and soaring upwards into the grey and brooding sky. The other four dragons followed the first, and as he gained height, sounding specific notes on the horn to give them directions, he drew his sword from its scabbard. Centuries before, Alric's ancestors had ridden their dragon steeds to conquer the whole of the western world. There had been many more dragons in the dragon caves in those days. Now only a handful remained, and of those only the youngest had slept sufficiently long enough to be awakened. High in the wintry sky climbed the huge reptiles, and Alric's long white hair and stained black cloak flew behind him as he sang the exultant song of the dragon masters and urged his charges westwards. Wild wind horses saw the cloud trails, unholy horn doth sound its blast. You and we were first to conquer, you and we shall be the last. Thoughts of love, peace and vengeance even were lost in the reckless sweeping across the glowering skies which hung over the ancient age of the young kingdoms. Elric, archetypal, proud, disdainful in his knowledge that even his deficient blood was the blood of the sorcerer kings of Malnibane, became detached. He had no loyalties then, no friends, and if evil possessed him, it was a pure, brilliant evil, untainted by human drivings. High soared the dragons until below them was the heaving black mass marring the landscape. The fear-driven horde of barbarians who, in their ignorance, had sought to conquer the lands beloved of Elric of Malnibane. O oh, dragon brothers, loose your venom, burn, and in your burning cleanse the world. Stormbringer joined in the wild shout, and diving, the dragons swept across the sky, down upon the crazed barbarians, shooting streams of combustible venom which water could not extinguish, and the stink of charred flesh drifted upwards through the smoke and the flame, so that the scene became a scene of hell. And proud Elric was the lord of demons, reaping awful vengeance. He did not gloat, 
for he had done only what was needed. That was all. He shouted no more, but turned his dragon mount back and upward, sounding his horn and summoning the other reptiles to him. And as he climbed, the exultation left him and was replaced by cold horror. I am still a Malnabonean, he thought. I cannot rid myself of what else I do. And in my strength I am still weak, ready to use this cursed blade in any small emergency. With a shout of loathing, he flung the sword away, flung it into space. It screamed like a woman and went plummeting downwards towards the distant earth. There, he said, it is done at last. Then, in a calmer mood, he returned to where he had left his friends and guided his reptilian mount to the ground. Divim Slorm said, Where is the sword of your forefathers, King Elric? But the albino did not answer, just thanked the kinsman for the loan of the dragon leader. Then they all remounted the dragons and flew back towards Karlark to tell them the news. Saratinia saw her lord riding the first dragon and knew that Karlark in the western world was saved, the eastern world avenged. His stance was proud, but his face was grave as he went to meet her outside the city. She saw in him a return of an earlier sorrow which he had thought forgotten. She ran to him and he caught her in his arms, holding her close but saying nothing. He bade farewell to Divimslorm and his fellow Imridians, and with Moonglum and the messenger following at a distance went into the city, thence to his house, impatient of the congratulations which the citizens showered upon him. What is it, my lord? Saracenia said as, with a sigh, he sprawled wearily upon the great bread. Can speaking help? I am tired of swords and sorcery, Saracenia, that is all. But at last I have rid myself once and for all of that hellblade which I had thought my destiny to carry always. Stormbringer, you mean? What else? She said nothing. She did not tell him of the sword which, apparently of its own volition, had come screaming into Karlark and passed into the armoury to hang in its old place in darkness there. He closed his eyes and drew a long, sighing breath. Sleep well, my lord, she said softly. With tearful eyes and a sad mouth, she lay herself down beside him. She did not welcome the morning.